You're listening to the Writing Momentum Podcast with authors Christopher and Gina Mazzelli, where you'll discover more about writing, publishing, building your author brand, and selling your book. Now, here's your hosts, Chris and Gina. Hello, and welcome back to the Writing Momentum Podcast. My name is Christopher Maselli from Writing Momentum. I'm here with Gina Maselli, my wife from Writing Momentum, and I'm here with Renee Gudridge, friend of the show, also with Writing Momentum. <laughs> How are y'all doing today? Doing great. really good. We're having uh, fun. I'm having fun talking about all of this. Had uh, some great conversations, even off the air. Yeah, because last week we talked about three movies every writer must see right and they weren't necessarily the best movies of all time but they were writer movies that had really good points for writers to follow that, that we can learn from and so we're taking we're going to go in that same vein these aren't necessarily we're going to talk about books three books every writer must read and it doesn't mean these are the best books in the world although they might be to us but these are some books that have just some really good takeaways for us as writers that we can learn from and it's kind of interesting when we talked about the movies, they were from all different decades. They were all different kinds and genres. I have a feeling it's going to be the same thing with books, even though I don't, I can't at this moment remember what y'all's picks are. So I might be surprised. But Gina, we started with you last time. Why don't we do the same thing? Let's just go around the table here. And Gina, what is your book that you think every writer must read? I think the book that has really impacted me in the last few years that has really resonated with me was Tolkien. Tolkien's a hobbit. A hobbit. Oh, you're yeah. going for the classic again. Last time you went with Casablanca, now you're going with the hobbit. Oh, my, I don't think ours, mine's not going to hold up. <laughs> I can't compare to the hobbit. This came out in 1937 and I am, I was really blown away. It was my first Tolkien book that I had read and just really blown away by his style of writing. I just thought it's really, there's a beauty and a lyrical quality to his writing that I find really engaging. And it was great for reading with my kids because I've been teaching them these different literary techniques and to then have them be able to see it and hear it. It was just great because they could see it in the wild. They could see these different techniques that we've been learning put into practice in such a great way with such a great and engaging story as well. And um, I was really reading it to my two boys. So it was perfect because it is an adventure about a hobbit, a young male hobbit, Bilbo Baggins, who goes on this adventure with this ring and with these with the people around him who helped make that happen. Great book. Just really loved it. And what really blows my mind is when I read a classic like this and I realize that this writer wrote this probably longhand on a piece of paper without a word processor, without a computer to do his spell check or to him to be able to go back and think, why did I write that before? Let me tweak that a little bit. None of that. It just, I'm always just stunned at the probably the discipline and just the craft that someone to be able to write a book like this longhand. It just blows my mind. 
Which it goes back to a little bit of the theme from last week about intentionality. When you're writing it longhand, you're probably going to make sure everything you write has a purpose. But also those universal themes, right? There are very universal themes in The Hobbit, just about life and death and friendship and that sort of thing. I think transcend generations and uh, make people love them over time. Yes, it definitely is a quest book. You've talked before, Chris, about your the 20 Master Plots book that you love so much. This is definitely a quest with... So it's just one of those great adventure quest stories of just these people coming together. And so you get to root for the good guy and how is he going to get out of every scrape that he gets into or every problem he gets into. It's just a great story from that respect. We've joked before about how if you watch the movies, it's like you're just going from one walking scene to the other because <laughs> they just keep going on this quest. They just keep moving forward, going to the next part of the adventure. And, uh, and that's what it is, but you're just totally entranced by it and just totally want to be on that with them. It's like you want to be taking every step with uh, the characters in that book. I love it. Yeah. All right, Renee, what is the book that you believe every writer must read? Okay, I've got two. I've got a nonfiction uh, one. And Overachiever. Thank you. Not really. Y'all know. The first one I have is from a nonfiction. Now, I'm a... People might be surprised to know I'm a huge nonfiction reader, even though I write fiction. I read mostly nonfiction, not all. But one of the things that has really gained popularity in the past decade or a little longer is more narrative storytelling in nonfiction. And I think that has started to engage people more into nonfiction because a lot of old nonfiction books tended to be more scholarly or written by history professors. And you really had to love the subject to enjoy the book. Whereas now some writers have discovered if you really dig into the story of what has happened and the quote unquote characters or real life characters and really make it follow some of those major story type archetypes like the quest and the adventure and all of that, then you can engage somebody who might not even be interested in the topic. So that is what has happened to me in the past few years. I have began to understand what incredible stories are out. I've started watching documentaries endlessly and whatnot. So I came across a book called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, and I can't even remember. I think one of my fiction editors recommended it to me, and I read it and was consumed by it. So the story entails this reporter who has begun to uncover this thing called the immortal cells, and the immortal cells are in certain people very few, where their cells will replicate endlessly. Hmm. They never die. They do not have a lifespan. This Can is you... nonfiction. This isn't a fiction book. This, this is, is nonfiction. nonfiction. Wow. Okay. Because this sounds like a great setup for a sci-fi novel. That's right. I was just like, what in the world? How would I even know? Every scientist probably knows about it, but your average reader doesn't. So this reporter begins digging into this and she says, where did this all come from? Turns out it was a lady from a poor African-American um, family and lady who's a mom had uterine cancer. 
and they biopsied her. She ended up dying, couldn't get the medical care that she really needed. But in the, in the middle of all this, they discover that she has immortal. So from there, they took her cells and began using them for research. And to this day, I can't remember exactly what the percentage is, but it's like a huge amount of 70%. Don't quote me on that. Go look it up yourself. But it's like a huge amount of the cells that are used for research and bio research and any like vaccine research all came from her. Her family had no idea. Her cells <laughs> were being used without her consent and making companies millions and billions of dollars. And they have come from this one lady who died poor in an unmarked grave. So that's interesting in and of itself. But then this reporter inserts herself into her own story and decides to go search out this family and this say, what do you know about this? And they were like, oh my gosh, what in the world? And so it's this discovery that they've been subject to research against their will. And the fact that there's this thing called immortal cells, which is just unbelievable in and of itself. Now I bring this book up, not just because it's interesting, but I think it, it proves three things. A lot of people will say, you know, like a book has to be, it has to be something everybody's interested in. Untrue. The idea as the writer is that you make something nobody's interested in interesting. And that's what I think this Rebecca Schlute did is she took something I would have never, if you would have, if I would have read this in some sort of medical journal, I would have skipped right over it. I could not have cared or understood the implications. What the writer did so well, she took something like that and found the narrative found the story, found the quote-unquote character, and created this epic story that actually Oprah made into a movie. It's a wonderful book, and I really highly suggest it. Unbelievably, it's a page-turner. But that goes to show you the power of the writer, right? The power that the writer can bring to anything if they can write well. And um, you, and you called that narrative nonfiction, right, is what you were calling that? Which essentially means taking something that's nonfiction and telling it as though it were fiction, all those components of a fiction story, right? You've got the characters, you've got the story and you create scenes. Is that right? How would you define it? Yeah, it's murky in how people are defining it these days, but because some people will say, I filled in the gaps. You can't fill in the gaps and call it nonfiction. You really, you can't make up part of the story just to make it a good story. Narrative nonfiction is the idea that you're telling a true story with the facts that you have in a way that is compelling beyond just a regular nonfiction read. And many writers have used nonfiction and implemented story-like factors in it, but not through the whole thing. Another great author, Eric Larson, does this so well. He wrote Devil in the White City and many others that take something so you would never, I would never read about it on my own and I get immersed in it. So whether you're a fiction writer or a nonfiction writer, you can learn from these really well done nonfiction stories. For fiction, I'll just mention it briefly since I've been talking a long time here. The Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walk is probably one of the best written books that I've ever come across. Beautifully written, 
lyrical, as Gina was mentioning, and similes and metaphors that just work all over the place, immersive point of view, and a topic that is so fascinating. It follows a family, and in particular, a girl starting out at the age of around 12, I think, when we get the news that the earth has begun to slow its rotation. And you would think it would be in like an apocalyptic sort of book, and it is apocalyptic, but it really has more to do with her life and her perspective on growing up in a world that's going to end. So it's well done, and I use it constantly when I teach. And so I always recommend if people say, what's a great, well-written novel, I will point them there. That's good. And what was that called again? The Age of Miracles. Age of Miracles. Wow. Good recommendation, Jill. So I'm going to recommend a book that our children's readers are going to appreciate. And if you haven't read this, I highly recommend it if you write for middle grade or really anyone. If you write, you should read this book. But this, I read this book when, after I had read a lot of middle grade books a lot of one-off adventures, singular storylines. There's a trend in the industry. You have to keep it simple, right? Because they're kids. And then I read Holes by Louis Sicar. And it was written in 1998. It's about a kid named Stanley, Stanley Yelnats. His last name is the same as his first, but reversed. <laughs> and he was sent to Camp Green Lake, which is a JV corrections facility, after he was accused of theft. And so he has to go there, and it's the story of his time at this facility. One of the main things they have to do are dig holes. And they don't know why are we always digging all these holes. And so it's an adventure, and it's a modern-day adventure. But what surprised me about it was how much more than that it was. I thought I was in for another one-off adventure, and instead... First of all, there were multiple time periods that took place in the book. I didn't expect that. It got into touching on the mythical and almost into fairy category or territory. And then it went beyond that and challenges you as a reader. It gets into themes of destiny and racism and homelessness and purpose and it just will absolutely blow your socks off when you're reading it. And you don't expect it from, first of all, from this book. You think it's just going to be adventure. You don't expect it from a middle grade novel. And it's just so good on so many levels. And this levels is really the right word to use because I saw how there were so many layers to what this book was. And as someone I had written... When I went and started reading this book, I had already written a couple dozen books of my own for middle graders, right? So it was feeling like I was into a groove of how these things are written and how these are done. And then I read this book and realized I didn't know the first thing about writing books for middle graders because it had so many layers and symbolism and things like that in it that I'd never even really considered going to that level. And so it changed my definition of what a really good middle grade book could be. And so if you're into, like I say, children's books, you're into just a good story, I recommend Holes 
by Lucicar. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but it's just a fantastic book, really good. And look for the layers as you read through it, and I think you'll be surprised how many there are. So anyway, so that's my recommendation. Let's go around again. Mine was Holes by Lucicar. Gina, what did you recommend? Which one is yours? I recommended The Hobbit by J.R. Yes, very good. Classic book. And Renee, you had two of them. What were your two again? Mine was The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot and Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker. Yeah, so we'd love to have you guys read these and let us know what you think. Go ahead and put them on your reading list. And as you get to them, let us know if you agree that they are good or what you got out of them. And we'd also love to hear from you. What are some of the books that you've read that you believe other writers, every writer, must read and why? It doesn't mean it has to be the best book in the world. It just means it has to be there's some reason you think writers need to read this. We'd love to hear about that. If we start collecting those, maybe we'll do another podcast where we cover what some of y'all's favorites are. Because we're not in this alone. We got to do this thing with other people. And the reason is why, Gina. Because together we have writing momentum. All right. We'll see y'all next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Writing Momentum Podcast with authors Christopher and Gina Maselli. Don't forget to subscribe and get the show notes at writingmomentum.com backslash podcast. Until next time, we hope that you have writing momentum.